0: Welcome to the podcast that shares the views of high-level leaders in the European and global financial services industry.
1: Welcome to Shaping Finance, a podcast which offers a platform to high-level decision-makers and shapers in international finance. My name is Nicolas Maquel. I'm the CEO of Luxembourg for Finance and the host of this podcast. Today, I am joined by Karen Sandberg the head of Europe and Middle East for Schroders, the global investment manager. Karine has joined Schroders in 2014, first as the country head for France, before being appointed in May 2018 to her current position. She has previously held other leadership positions for major French and U.S. asset management firms. Welcome, Karine. Thank
0: you, Nicolas, for having me today. It's a great pleasure.
1: So, Schroeders is a 200-year-old institution. What can you briefly tell us about its most important milestones?
0: Yes, Nicola, Schroeders may be um, a 200-year-old, but uh, we have always had, um, I would say, a um, vivacious spirit, uh, in a sense, uh, over the past two centuries, uh, where many things have changed and the group is continuously adapting. It is fair to say that uh, the history of Schroeders began in uh, 1804, and it was at that time uh, an American company focused on the finance of trade between America and Europe. So a long way from asset management company, to, to say the least. It has evolved, obviously, afterwards and beginning in 1924 as a beginning of client investment management at Schroeder. So it has changed quite massively during the years. And um, we've been listed in the London Stock Exchange in 1959, meaning that also today we are firm, a listed firm, sorry. And we employ over five thousand sorry two hundred employees across our thirty seven locations, so the company has evolved quite a lot to achieve that. I have to say that uh, we've been uh, lucky to look into acquisition, and we have done a lot of also organic growth, but much more recently, what I can say about the company is really about the fact that we've been able to add expertise that we didn't have, especially in private assets uh, for example. ADVEC in private equity. As a previous country head for France, I've been lucky to participate to the setup of the infrastructure uh, finance platform based in Paris called Ida. And then we have uh, continued to expand. Recently, we have um, also acquired Blue Orchard, specialized in impact investment. So it's really to adapt ourselves to our clients' demands. And this is something that we have been able to deliver thanks to the family, uh, Schroeder's family, who today uh, continue to hold 48 percent of voting rights and it helps to look on the long-term run much more than a short-term period of time.
1: And looking at the long-term is probably also what helps a firm like yours stay at the top and stay relevant for such a long time?
0: Yeah, definitely. I believe it has really helped massively to continue to develop ourselves. I have to say that something that it, it's reasonates a lot because uh, we have Mr. Baron Bruno Schroeder who passed away uh, two years ago at uh, the age of uh, 86. He was always asking uh, his uh, directors about the 30 year strategy and vision. So it was really, you know, helping us uh, to look forward much more than anything else. And um, having this kind of stability has helped massively uh, the firm to continue to develop and to innovate.
1: Now, I suppose that uh, nobody in their 30-year strategy had foreseen the COVID-19 crisis. And this obviously has had profound effect on our economies even if today maybe the asset management industry seems so far largely unscathed. What what is your take? Are we out of the woods or should we brace for a delayed impact?
0: That's a good question. Uh, Obviously, I have to say the COVID-19 pandemic was the dominant investment theme of last year and it's continued to be, obviously. And um, I have to say that... uh, However, our industry in asset management has been quite lucky in a sense. And so, uh, and if I may say so, because obviously it's, uh, it's something, uh, you know, that uh, we have to cope with and it's a difficult uh, situation. But we've been able to adapt, go on working remotely, touch base with our clients. And as an active asset manager, it is fair to say that our solutions have proven extremely resilient uh, during this period of time and benefiting from uh, the big rally in the markets that we have seen also last year. So clearly, we have seen um, help um, coming from everywhere, by the way, in 2020, because in the form of fiscal and mon- monetary policy uh, stimulus, we've been uh, seeing all the central banks helping us, helping uh, the market to continue to, de- to, and to ensure that we're going to continue to stay alive, if I may say. And so uh, it has been uh, for the benefit of uh, the investment and the companies. And I hope it's going to continue to be like this because it is fair to say that it's going to impact massively the companies and some companies in the future. But um, we've been lucky enough to have access to all these kind of stimulus, and, um, and we hope that we're going to be able to really re- reconvey um, uh, the economy in a different way and shape the economy in a different way going forward. And it's going to also influence a lot the way that we are managing and the way that we're going to manage in the near future as well. So I think it's also a good lesson to learn as well. But to answer probably your question is, um, I would say, no, we are not yet out of the woods, to be honest with you. And particularly in emerging markets, where we can see that some countries are you know, currently suffering renewed outbreaks of the virus and its variants. It's going to continue to be the case. And so this is something that we have to take into consideration when we are looking at all these kind of uncertainties that we are seeing across the world. And um, meaning that we need to adapt ourselves in terms of asset allocation standpoint.
1: Well, talking exactly about this, um, we see that the vaccine has raised hopes for a recovery, but that exactly between different countries and in particular emerging countries, it can vary greatly in terms of rollout and thus, of course, in terms of impact on the economies. How exactly is this affecting the overall asset allocation and investment impacts in terms of geographies for a global player like yourself?
0: So you're asking me about much more the impact on the overall asset allocation. And I would answer that despite those certainties, um, there are, of course, plenty of opportunities for returns everywhere and in each and every market, and especially for active investors who really can choose the companies in which we invest So typically, we can look at those companies that have been left behind because of any fault of their long-term prospects, has been overwhelmed um, by the virus and lockdown. So this is something as well. And from a sustainability perspective, this kind of crisis is going to change massively as well the way and when and how the company are going to behave in the future. And this is something that we are taking into consideration. It is also fair to say that, um, I guess I would say that the most importantly now, will be uh, hell in every aspect, if I may, of uh, our lives and in every part of the globe. So I think it is and will particularly important in the aftermath of such a crisis to really focus on what matters the most, obviously, and which probably explain the current increasing interest. We are all witnesses on thematic solution because there is a lot happening on that aspect and particularly when uh, they are linked to um, the UN SDGs. So this is a big shift that we are starting to see. And obviously, we have to take into account the different parts of the world. Uh, When we look at the recovery of Asia, for example, in the China market, it has been like phenomenal uh, last year. It's going to continue, but uh, we have to be prepared, and we have to be quite agile in terms of asset allocation going forward, I believe, because it's not the end, unfortunately.
1: Let's change towards another topic that has some tectonic consequences, which is Brexit. It has become a reality since the beginning of January. How is Schroeder's adapting to life after Brexit?
0: But to answer your question directly, Nicola, I have to say that. I think I can tell you that life hasn't really changed, uh, of course, uh, since uh, the end of the, per- the transition period. And as a group uh, with um, a very uh, quite extensive London-based, I would say, management capabilities, we have effectively been ready uh, for no deal Brexit for months. So this was largely anticipated, um, I have to say. And our diversified business model and significant and longstanding presence uh, in the um, EU 27 means that we are very well placed to continue to service our clients and to grow our business. And in reality, when we look at uh, the way that we are operating, of course, Luxembourg fund range and our uh, UK range is continuing to be be marketed. But the UK range, by the way, was not used a lot with our European clients, for example, as well as, by the way, with the Chilean client and Asian clients. So for us, um, it is uh, something that it's not going to impact us um, quite a lot. And also, because here we are talking about much more the UCITS product, products, but uh, when it comes to our, um, I would say mandates and dedicated funds, for example, we were also preparing and uh, we have taken the necessary measure to make sure that we're going to be able to onboard that in, uh, in Luxembourg. And so, Sim Europe, which is our UCITS and uh, AAM, AFM, sorry, license, we are ready, you know, to operate uh, everywhere. But it is fair to say that as well, it's a great opportunity for us in Europe to really try to showcase the fact that we're going to be, and I hope you're very unified, um, I would say, uh, region, and also to use much more the local investment hub that we are having. And so what we are doing at the moment and looking into it is to expand even further on the investment hub that we have, for example, in Paris, for example, in Frankfurt, in Munich as well. So this is really uh, something that we are looking in order to ensure that we're going also to be ready to finance the real economy, the local, fi- the local, sorry, real economy, because it's happening everywhere. And we want to be really close to that because we believe that we have a role to play in, uh, in that journey.
1: And what could, for instance, the EU do in order to deepen the asset management market within uh, the single market?
0: I think at the moment we are looking at uh, EU depends the integration of the single market, it is true. I think that the Brexit um, relocations have also underlined that the EU single market is very attractive and remains very attractive. And so this is a very good news, as I was uh, uh, saying. And so we should leverage the full scale of this unique, I would say, uh, market by eliminating uh, remaining obstacles and to really ensure and allow the movement of capital and services as well as by uh, creating innovative framework or more innovative framework for very new financial activities as well. So I really expect and hope it's going to happen. And because it's a huge opportunity. Today to ensure that we're going to be also one voice. It's um, I have to say that if I do a parallel, I'm doing the same thing uh, with Intruders, the head of uh, uh, you know Europe and Middle East. Um, it's really important for all of us to be seen and to be perceived as one unique single market at the end of the day. So I'm sure it's going to evolve, and I uh, definitely am um, very positive and optimistic that it's going to happen. And so of course, it's, it's a real benefit at the end of the day as well.
1: You mentioned before uh, that Schroders has historically been and still remains an active specialist. While active is definitely not dead, it is facing trying times. What do you see as the future of active management?
0: So, right, it's, uh, it's fair to say that also at the beginning of the interview, Schroders has always been, you know, an active asset manager and we want to continue to be so. And because we believe that we can bring uh, really a lot. And by the way, it is something that we can look at the passive as well, but uh, it's complementary at the end of the day. And the use of the passive, is sometimes not at all the same than uh, for the active uh, asset manager. And so for us, it's really important. We are convinced that a forward-looking active investment approach is needed to uh, really comprehend the impact of all the, the forces. And this is something that we have been able to showcase by delivering you know, very strong results and outperformance. And if I can take you know, just very few examples, but uh, when I look at the results, for example, of just some funds that uh, happened last year in terms of outperformances, this is sometimes we are seeing like a plus 30% uh, compared to a benchmark in uh, China. Um, it's 40%, by the way, from a China product. But uh, when you look at uh, as well as um, the global equity product, we've been able to add, you know, additional 12% of alpha. And even uh, within the credit and fixed income area, we have a uh, product such as uh, a sustainable euro credit, which have also outperformed by three percent so meaning that the way that you are going to invest and the way that you continue to invest and to look at every single opportunities is really really important and it's going to be looked by our clients and continue to be used by our clients and so i think we can to to be able to have other two at the same time it is fair to say that in terms of pricing sometimes it's not the same But I think that there is a cost also to pay to add alpha still. And by the way, our whole financial industry and asset management, we all know that we are seeing fee pressure. This is something that is happening and this is something that we are onboarding as well in order to ensure that we adapt ourselves and to answer to that client need as well. So at the end, I think it's positive and it's still positive to always have also a competition out of there um, in order to... uh, shake up and to uh, stay you know alive and to continue to innovate uh, more and more.
1: Let us look a little bit uh, also towards the future of finance which will obviously be sustainable. How much actually of a reality is sustainable finance today for
0: Schröders? I think we see ourselves as, again, a long-term active owners of our client's capital. And this philosophy naturally leads us to focus on the long-term prospect for companies in which we invest. So today, there are, I think, um, really three dimensions in investment, uh, return, risk, and impact. We now see a fundamental shift in how companies are viewed and valued. Um, understanding the impact that companies have on society and the planet is crucial, in uh, also determining their true cost and ultimately their impact adjusted profit. So all of our investment desks integrate now all these kind of ESG factors into their investment process. And as an active uh, ownership is a core part of our approach, our sustainability, I would say specialist and uh, an analyst as well, within the investment desk, engage with this company all day long, and we want to encourage them to transition towards a much more sustainable business model. So this is a real trend that is here to stay, and it's going to continue. And I believe that it's really going to help and support the future growth over the long term. So for us, it's really important. And the way that we are developed this internally, it's through um, our own proprietary toolkit called Impact IQ. And it's to measure the impact that companies have on society and the environment. We develop these tools based on um, over more than 20 years of ESG investment experience. And the way that we are used as part of our investment process, Impact IQ looked into the externalities of companies, the risks that unsustainable practices pose to their business as well, obviously, and um, the uh, overall alignment with uh, the uh, UN SDGs. And so, as I was mentioning, this is something that is uh, happening a lot. And so we are really trying to engage and to have this kind of really open dialogue with um, the companies as well as obviously, and I'm not going to develop too, too much, but in terms of exclusion, this is also something that we are having a lot of um, discussion with our clients in order to ensure that they are taking this into account and that we also manage product with this kind of call it ethical screen um, to meet our clients' requirements. But um, but really, um, I would say... um. Again, we are really convinced that we can often make a bigger difference while engaging rather than simply excluding. For course, it's really something important that we are keeping in mind and uh, as a philosophy as well of investment.
1: And um, how are you preparing, for instance, for the new disclosure requirements that will be imposed coming soon?
0: Yes, <laughs> coming very soon. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> so we ha- all have to adapt uh, to the, um, the sustainable finance disclosure regulation, which aims, by the way, to reorient uh, investment towards a more sustainable economy, So, which is a positive development. So we have to take it uh, that way. It is fair to say that this regulation has a number of implications for asset managers offering funds in the EU, mainly affecting the way that uh, funds are categorised and marketed with regards to their approach to sustainability. This is something that we still have a little bit of uncertainty in terms of uh, and around the technical details per se. So um, it's uh, we are adapting ourselves, and uh, we know that uh, March tenth is going to be key of all of us. And we have taken a conservative approach for our first wave of product uh, categorization. And by doing so, we have a certainty that our funds meet the requirements of sorry, Article 8 and 9. And we have classified our product using a positive relative impact risk measure score as a threshold for Article 8. And these funds constitute our sustainable range to start with, while our impact goals and range aligns to SDGs, will be Article 9. So this is the way that we are approaching that, and um, it's going to evolve. We are also looking into and almost ready for the second wave as well, so meaning that the entire funds range is uh, looking into a lot of scrutiny in order to make sure that we're going to make it happen. And uh, thanks to um, uh, you know our propriety tool that I was mentioning um uh, called uh, Sustanex, it helps us massively to make this happen and to be very active around that. So this for us, it's it's key, but um, it is fair to say that it was a little bit challenging in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the implementation, if I may.
1: Now, in order to make sustainable finance more mainstream, what would be needed to help it being accelerated going forward?
0: I think we were talking about regulation, but I think regulations, of course, it's going to favor that. So this is something that we have already discussed, but um, above uh, all um, initiative, I would say goodwill as well, because this is important. And this starts with corporate responsibility uh, to our minds. And at Schroeders, we take numerous initiatives to promote environmental and social consciousness. And we encourage inclusion, uh, diversity, the mental health, this is both at every level of the firm and, um, and I would say uh, more broadly in the industry, which is really good, uh, I believe. And to be concrete and to, uh, as an example, what I can say is last December, Schroeders uh, has been um, a founding member of uh, the Net Zero Asset Manager Initiative. And our CEO as well, Peter Harrison, also sent a letter to the UK uh, largest uh, companies. Um, in the FUTI uh, 350 sorry, index, asking them to publish detailed and fully costed transition plans on climate change. So this is the kind of way where our regulation as well as our the industry leaders may influence our going forward. And I believe that we are really having uh, this kind of uh, important role to play because it's part also of our DNA. But uh, more importantly, it's also for the future, uh, the future world. And so for us, it's really, really important.
1: And as we come to the end of this podcast, let me ask the final traditional question, which is very simple. If you have read any book recently that you would like to recommend to our audience?
0: Yes, and I have to say that you're going to be surprised by the book that I'm not reading, probably, but um, one thing that I can say is, uh, and I can share that with you, um, it's uh, my little secret, uh, if I may, I'm completely passionate um, about horses, and I've been lucky enough to, I would say, Write uh, a lot uh, for for since I'm I'm, I'm six uh, years old, so you can imagine, and uh, also have horses around me. And two years ago, I've started with my husband uh, to decide to create and to build our own breeding farm, and we had six falls uh, in 2020. Uh, 20. And the book that I'm finishing reading at the moment to do the link to here is really dedicated to um, in breeding and outsourcing in. Uh, in racehorse breeding and I can tell you that it is very uh, quite technical but fascinating and um, it's also referring to the history of horses as well as the need to evolve and to think differently about uh, breeding and so here it's really a parallel where you know everything is evolving so much everywhere the same is happening obviously in the horse breeding and so it forced you you know to think really out of the box and to try to reason in a completely different way. And have to say that it has been a um, fascinating book, very specialized, as I mentioned, but um you know if uh, someone like um, horses, it's really, really interesting to look into.
1: Well, thinking outside the box is certainly what uh, is a good recommendation always to anybody. So thank you very much for sharing your insights with our audience. and thank you also to our listeners who have tuned in again to our podcast. In our next episode, I will be speaking to Michael Cole-Fontaine, the Chairman of the Association for Financial Markets in Europe, or AFMI, to discuss progress towards the Capital Markets Union and, of course, many other different topics. To stay up to date with our podcast, please feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. You can also find more information on our website, LuxembourgforFinance.com.